Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Associate Pastor Reverend Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture readings today are from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 1. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read, and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Genesis 3, starting at verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Second Corinthians 4, starting at verse 3. Just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake. So that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, everybody, let me get my microphone set. Uh, please pray with me. Uh, Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you, you who are our rock and our redeemer and our eternal home. Amen and amen. As I said earlier, I want to welcome you all here to worship today, and I, I am so glad that you are here 
whether you're here with us in person or uh, are worshiping uh, with us uh, via our website, you are welcome in this place. I'm truly glad to see you. And together this morning, we are going to listen for a word from the Lord as revealed to us in Scripture. As a means to get into our Bible readings from Genesis 3 and 2 Corinthians this morning, I want to tell you a little story about what June 6th, today's date, means to me. Uh, June 6th recalls for me the potential of youth. It's hard for me to believe, but 16 years ago, I was uh, trapezing across France with two of my closest friends, taking ferries, hitchhiking, sneaking on board trains, and genuinely having the time of my 19-year-old life. But I wasn't just there to sow my wild oats, no. It was there on a quixotic, perhaps for a typical 19-year-old at the start of the 21st century, a bit odd quest to be present at the 60th anniversary commemorations of D-Day. The beach invasions along the Normandy coast that launched Operation Overlord which was the beginning of the liberation march that freed Western Europe from Nazi domination on June 6th, 1944. I read a book about D-Day when I was in high school and decided I would embark upon this pilgrimage. And so I convinced my two buddies to come along with me, reminding them that we could partake in things in Europe that we couldn't do in America under the age of 21. And bam, just like that, they were in. And on June 4th, we made it. We made it to the American cemetery at Normandy, where nearly 10,000 Americans are buried. After wandering the cemetery for several hours, I walked down to the beaches where 60 years prior to that date, men waded ashore under hellacious fire to die to set men free. And I sat on Omaha Beach, and I began to cry, because it wasn't lost on me that the average age of the American man wading ashore on Omaha Beach was said to be 19 years old. Why'd they do it? How'd they do it? Now you may be asking yourselves, why do I share this story with you this morning? Because I have always been challenged by the question as to why do some people choose to experience loss, to suffer, to die for a cause they believe in? And when I read through the Second Corinthians passage, I was struck by Paul's insistence that the suffering he experienced for sticking with a cause he believed in, his preaching of the gospel was, I quote, for your sake. Now I'm not here to preach the sacrifice of armed forces, but rather witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think a connection can be drawn between the promises that God makes to us 
and how we live our lives and make our choices in ways small and large. I'm not one who believes all life is suffering and pain. That's just not who I am. Nor do I think life is all the time rainbows and puppies. Oh, I wish it was. No, most of life is just putting your head down and muddling through in good times and bad. One foot in front of the other. One day at a time. And if you can't do a day at a time, one hour at a time. Now, some of you all have been around longer than I have been. And you can attest to what I'm talking about here, I think. But I believe that in the mundane, in the muddle, we can live in a way that points to Christ. And more pressingly, at least when we are in the midst of crisis, whatever that crisis looks like for us, Paul just straight up tells us in this passage that we can suffer in ways that bring God glory. And how is this? I hate suffering. If I was God, I would wipe it out in a moment. Suffering hurts. It can wound us physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Suffering can kill us. But Christians believe that God has done something to our suffering by sending the suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffers with us, who died for us, and is raised for our future glory. So our living, suffering, and dying is done in the hope of the promise that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Now, you might not find that to be satisfactory. You might not consider God's answer to the problem of pain agreeable. And I want you to know that's okay. But I encourage you to hold on to Jesus, to wrestle with God in the midst of your pain, and even if all this does not make sense in your head, to invite the Holy Spirit to give you strength to press on in your heart, even when your heart is so, so broken, in so much pain, and wants to give out. To echo the Apostle's words to us in our scripture, we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, i.e. though our bodies are breaking down and violence and disease and stress and worry are tearing us apart physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, our inner nature is being renewed day by day by the power of God. For these slight momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. What lies ahead is eternity. This is what lets people continue to press forward in the midst of total devastation. This is what allows people to get up in the morning when their world is being destroyed. 
This is what allows people to storm the beaches. In my life, I've stormed no beach. And that's okay. We can respect the bravery of those who have gone before while acknowledging our own personal struggles that are no less serious for us in our day-to-day life. I want to give you an example. Please let me give you an example for my own life. I keep it no secret that I live with post-traumatic stress. I am haunted by things I saw and experienced when I was a young adult volunteer for the Presbyterian Church USA in Kenya in 2008 and 2009. Times there when I feared for the life of my colleagues and when I feared for my own life. In the midst of great violence and pain. In the years since then, There have been times when I would struggle to even get out of bed. And when I did get out, to keep moving forward and not be frozen in some nightmare of the past. That's what post-traumatic stress can do to you. But I feel no shame in telling you this. Admitting my struggles with traumatic stress in the past doesn't make me less of a man. Nor does it change that I can bench press 405 pounds. Nor does it place into question my confident call by the Holy Spirit to be a pastor, to be a preacher of the gospel. No. Being honest about my traumatic stress allows me to testify to you, like Paul did with those he was writing to in 2 Corinthians, that in the midst of suffering, God reminds us that these slight momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. That phrase, the weight of glory, is truly a remarkable one. It's led to all sort of reflections over the centuries by all manner of thinkers. C.S. Lewis understood the phrase to be the promise of God made real. The, and I quote, promise, the promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that we shall find approval. We shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in her work or a parent in his child. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. What I think this means is even though, even, what I think this means is even when we feel that surely God has deserted us in our suffering, God is ever present, ever with us, ever preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that lies ahead for us. And in our pain, in our lowest points, 
God can and still will use us because God loves us and calls us his own. He approves us. He approves of us. He delights in us. The good news is that because of Jesus, God is not done with us yet in this life. How we suffer can point others to Jesus' all-consuming grace. We can show that Jesus is not just for us, but with us, for us and for our salvation. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our Old Testament reading foreshadows this. I believe, that, I believe that one of the most beautiful moments in all of Scripture is in Genesis 3. Now, we typically don't think of beauty in regards to Genesis chapter 3, which tells of humanity's fall, descent into sin, of disobeying God and hiding away in shame. It's a moment of brokenness, of trauma, of utmost pain and God knows this God knows that Adam and Eve have disobeyed and now to quote Genesis 3 8 and 9 they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at this time at the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees now I believe that most people, when they read or hear these verses, identify with the sinful creatures God created. Like children, we believe that Adam and Eve are hiding because they know that God will be very angry at their disobedience and punish them. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? This is... The very first question in all of Scripture. The first question in all of Scripture. And it expresses God's deep yearning to be with God's creation. God knows that the relationship has been broken because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. God knows that it will be changed forevermore. God knows that humans will have to live with the consequence of their disobedience. But God still calls out. Where are you? It's not, where are you? But where, oh, where are you? I created you to be in relationship with me. Now, while you are in this world, I promise that I will be with you always. I will never leave you. I will always be searching you out. And when it is time, I will be with you when you come to your eternal home. Forever, for wherever you will be, there I will be also. For I am with you, for I am for you, for I am the God who is with his people. The weight of glory is for you, dear people, dear friends, my beloved First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, for we are God's creation, God's people, God's beloved 
children. And what God does, he does for our sake. And that's good news. That is the good news of the gospel in a nutshell. Our God is with us always till the very end of the age. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen.